Welcome to the Business as Mission podcast, dedicated to those who long to see God glorified in business and the nations reached for Christ. Your host is Mike Bayer, longtime BAM leader and founder of Third Path Initiative, an online education resource for starting and growing BAM businesses around the world. Today, I've got with me a, a brother from I guess two places, from currently San Diego, but uh, he, he focuses his time and energy and heart on Uganda and has an amazing business story there that we're going to explore. His name is Bo Milliken with Kajani Forest. Actually, Bo, I'll let you tell the story, but you've got, as I understand it, really three different businesses going. You've got a construction company, you've got the Kajani Forest uh, forestry business, and then you've got a charcoal business. I know they're related somehow, but anyway, welcome. Thanks, Mike. We're very fortunate to be on the show. And yeah, we, I guess, clarification that the charcoal is within Kajani Forestry. It's one of the same different business divisions. So how did you get to Uganda? You were telling me earlier that I guess you're an engineer by education. I would assume it was like with a construction type background in that. So tell us a little bit of how you got there. Yeah, my story can really only be explained with the backdrop of the try to listen to where the Lord pushes me. So my background is actually chemical engineering, and I am more of a homebody. And so the fact that the Lord asked me to move across the world uh, to Uganda to work with an organization called Restore International, or they're now Love Does, so Bob Goff and some of this work that they do. So yeah, it just really felt like the Lord was me out of my work as an engineer. And uh, it's a really awesome opportunity to go over and to work amongst these, this school. That, and yeah, you know, I'd, I'd grown up good doing construction, but went over and humbled by the opportunity uh, to go work with this organization. And yeah, on the construction side of things, we kept getting better. We kept hiring and uh, training more and more people. And by the end of it, uh, decided to turn that into a company my first um, dipping my toes into the entrepreneurship pool and realized that even though the Lord gave me an engineer mind that he gave me the part of an entrepreneur. And yeah, so a few five years of going back and forth between Uganda and I saw some of the issues behind deforestation and the rising charcoal prices, which are linked. And so with that, a couple very close friends and now co-founders to develop this business model around tackling that by planting a lot of trees, and then producing charcoal more efficiently. That's is our, probably the simplest way to say what we do. You were telling me earlier that the deforestation issue in Uganda is terrible. I guess I'm looking for the big word, it, but it's devastating to the environment, yeah. the economy that ties into the whole charcoal question, which I imagine a lot of our listeners are thinking, well, wait a minute, where, how does charcoal fit in? So talk yeah. about that a little bit, just to give us a sense of how they connect and why seems to me on many levels, financial, environmental, it's got a lot of impact. Yeah, you're probably familiar with the idea of the tragedy of the commons, where tree is a very common thing. One tree is not that big of a deal. But when you have millions of people that rely on either firewood or charcoal, that cutting down trees becomes commonplace. And no one would ever think to replant a tree because there's more and more trees. Fast forward 30 years and Uganda's lost half of its trees in that time. Right now, and this is old data, so it's probably even worse, but there's 500,000 acres being cut down every year. So that's the size of LA being cut down. Put a pin in that, 500,000 acres a year. Yeah. So that's a picture of the area of LA being cut down 
once or twice every three years, but it's unfathomable. And what's really tough is that it's not this group of people that are just moving in a direction that you can stop. It's hundreds of thousands in this charcoal industry that, hey, I have 10 acres of land, so I'm just going to cut down these trees. And really what the there's, we're, we're working with people that live on less than $2 a day for an entire household. So that's maybe 25 to 40 cents per person per day. And so when you have the opportunity to produce charcoal something and sell it to someone, even though you're cutting out down a tree for a dollar, but really to these people, that's a significant amount of money. And if it comes to, hey, I, I want to cut down this tree because I want to send my kid to school. And that's really the only thing I have left because crops didn't grow well, or there's no security for a lot of these shareholder farmers. And yeah, so really like this tragedy of the commons is common in Uganda where trees are disappearing at a really rapid rate. And you can look at a neighboring country like Kenya, who's they're way beyond this. They're down to 6% forest cover and it's an inelastic demand for charcoal. It's not if charcoal gets cheaper that people are going to use twice as much. It's you need to cook food. And so it's a pretty constant demand. And so now the supply is coming from Uganda and other neighboring countries. And so the problem's really just going to get worse and worse as everything happens. And yeah, so really to link that back in. So we've seen this, we've seen what's happening in Kenya and how terrible everything has been there. And on our side, what within Uganda, that it's worsening the issues within Uganda as well. And so with all of that, we're really just trying to see, yeah, maybe it's on the smaller scale in terms of we're not plant, we're not replanting half a million acres every year yet, maybe in the future. But at this point, we, we want to build something that can scale up and be a very sustainable business model that can grow and empower the rural farmers for the people that are seeing the effects of climate change to have them be the frontline workers fighting against it and also profit from that. So I love the way you've tied it all together and, and going back to what sort of started the problem. And I think most of us, when we think about deforestation, and I'm not a, trying to be an environmentalist here, but I do care. Sure. When, I, when we think about deforestation, we think big companies, massive bulldozers, clear cutting, and, and really, we're, and I'm sure that happens some, but what you're describing is people just trying to make a living day at a time, but times a few million, that leads up to these massive numbers. As you say, the tragedy of the commons. But, and yet, that's also the way you've attacked it. You haven't come at it with some big corporate strategy. You've gone to the very people who were cutting the trees down. And as I understand it, you've equipped them with seedlings, but also with the know-how to form little nurseries. That They, they actually become the, the nursery keepers. They become the planters. And they become, I suppose, the harvesters. This is a really holistic business you put together. Talk a little bit more, because I'm going to just mention before we get there, there is a uh, YouTube video called Kajani Forestry that, that, that our listeners should look up. The subtitle is Nursery Hub Impact. And it does tell the story about what they're doing in, in real life people. So I would encourage you, again, it's Kajani Forestry, Nursery Hub Impact. But tell us how that came together. What gave you the idea and, and how does it actually work? A lot of it came out of, we had designed this business model and initially thought, let's buy some land. And as a, a lot of people wanted to be planting trees, which I would say five years ago wouldn't have been the case. I don't think people would have cared because like, they're not any different than us. Like you don't want to wait 20 years for an investment to come to fruition. And so it's not going to be any different for these people, but also they're living quote unquote pitch to paycheck, except just crop harvest to crop harvest. And so why should they be looking at 20 years in the future when they're trying to survive this year? 
And so what our model introduces is this concept of intercropping where you're planting trees amongst your crops. So it's, and then once the crops are harvested, you're going to have trees that have survived. And there's also this extra built-in encouragement of that people were already going to be weeding their crops, but now they're weeding their trees alongside their crops. So it's not as much work. And really we're looking at improving a farmer's household income by 850% after four years through this model. And the trees that we're planting can regrow from the existing root structure. So after they harvest through this technique called managed natural regeneration, which basically just allows wood to regrow from the existing root structure. So then they can harvest it on a three-year cycle afterwards. And it doesn't, it's not something that they need continued input from us and they can keep providing for their families through this model. And so really we're looking them at looking at trees as these energy crops. So instead of looking at them as these don't ever cut down this tree, it's no, every tree we cut down of ours that we plant is another tree that's saved and we're producing 80% more efficiently than other people. So we're trying to save forest and really protect forest by replacing where all the wood is coming from. And yeah, we found surprisingly that the people we're working with are very enthusiastic about this idea as well and really just haven't thought about planting trees in mass or haven't even had access to plant trees. So for example, if they wanted to buy a seedling, the, just to get into town for these people an hour away and they have to pay for a motorcycle ride or probably spend an entire day to go to, to town to buy a seedling. And the seedlings that are available are expensive. And also there's very few that are available to even be purchased. And so they probably wouldn't be able to get it. So really by us providing um, these nurseries and by providing the seeds that we give them access to start, you know, this uh, small scale woodlot. Uh, but if we do a small scale woodlot farmers, we have a lot of woodlots going on. And that's something impactful that we can look at and see how that's going to have a really good influence. So it really is listening to what do they want? What do they really want to be doing with us? And if we're all on the same page and we have essentially these futures contracts set up with these farmers to buy at a certain at or above market price, and then we can also profit off of that to pay for more and more nursery hubs to be created, it really benefits all parties in a significant way. You've got a, a, a very efficient way of producing charcoal. So you've got the trees being planted, you've got the trees being harvested, you're centrally processing the charcoal for you to sell or you buy from them and you sell it? Is that the, the business model? Yeah. So all of the above. So we have our charcoal production on our side of things, and that can look like a centralized kiln that we bring wood to that produces it more efficiently. And when we're producing and training these other farmers to do it, what we have is actually it's a collapsible chimney that acts as a kiln that we can use all local materials we bring in this chimney that increases efficiency 80%. And so a lot of these people know how to make charcoal in theory, but we're just doing some small tweaks so that they can produce it a lot more efficiently. We truly are looking for the full vertical integration of the charcoal industry. And that's controlling every aspect of what tree is cut down to how it's produced and to make sure that it emits less carbon when we're producing, ultimately to the consumer that is going to um, appreciate having a higher quality charcoal based on our production methods. And so with that, we work with farmers, we train them on how to produce the charcoal, how to use this technology, and then we'll go and pick up the charcoal from these people's farms and really help them. Like in the future, it'll be a lot larger scale when all of our trees have matured, but go and, hey, here's the chimney that's going to help you produce the charcoal more efficiently. You can use this for free. We'll buy the charcoal from you at or above market rate. And then we'll take it and we'll sell it in 
the capital of Uganda and be that market access to people. Really, it's just trying to look at how can we work with most people and do this in a way that also makes business sense and just have long-term relationships in these communities so that they know that we're going to be around when the trees are around to be harvested, that it's not, hey, plant these seedlings, we'll be back in four years. Yeah, this is not like a, a Peace Corps project. <laughs> this right. is long-term. And, and how you, I know in Uganda, there's a good bit of freedom of religion and so forth. How are you received as a Christian in the community? I know many of them would profess to be Christians, of course, and may very well be Christians. There's also a large Muslim community emerging, maybe you're not working in that area of Uganda, but how's the general population view this as a, an American Christian coming to do this? I would say how we look at it is, as a whole, that most people within Uganda have probably heard the gospel. A lot of them would claim to be Christians. There is pretty decent Muslim population, but I would say it's definitely, there's not this animosity of Muslim versus Christian that it feels like there might be in some other countries. It's very harmonious of, okay, you're Muslim and you're Christian. That's great. And I think where we see our role would be probably more so on on the business sense, how we want to be there long-term and stay involved and show them that we're there for them to help them, you know, produce a charcoal in the future and take that to market. We also see what we do as a bit more of a discipleship of, hey, we're going to be there for long-term and some of our staff get trained. We don't force this on our staff, but a lot of our staff are Christians and get trained in this, this model where they work with these groups that are around and try to do like a weekly discipleship training with these groups. And so a lot of our staff members are a part of that. And so yeah, with them living in the communities that they're working amongst and where the seedlings are and all of that, they're living out in these communities, which provides a really cool opportunity for them to be the light and to share Jesus's love and share it in a holistic you know, way as well. The Lord says he wants to bring his life and bring it to the fullest. Let's work on that fullest part. And so that's a really kind of part of what we're doing. That's beautiful. Because that's, I think that's the heart of the modern businesses mission movement. It's not, you know, just using a business to get there or get a visa or something of that nature. It, it's really the term. I don't know if I like this term or not, but you'll know what I mean. The whole gospel for the whole man. And it really is bringing the love of God, bringing the kindness of God to every aspect of their life. And I think what you've laid out for us is a great example, sort of the, the fourfold bottom line, right? There's a financial bottom line. You guys are actually for-profit and sustainable. There's a spiritual bottom line. There is discipleship, relational discipleship going on, which is a part of life. Uh, there is the social aspect. These communities are better. You mentioned the, even the education of the children. They're the, the whole family and, the, and then the community of the families is being blessed. And then even this is one of the few kingdom companies I've talked with in a while that are really thinking heavily about the environmental bottom line, the creation care side of it. So it's a really, I feel like I ought to create a fifth category to throw at you so you can figure that one out too, but you, you've got the first four down pretty solid. So um, not to get negative, but it is, this is the time we live in. How has COVID impacted you? I know right now you're stuck in the U.S., unable to get back to Uganda but it's not just you. So you've got, you've got your construction right. company, you've got the Kajani forestry work. So how has it impacted you and, and how are you dealing with it? Honestly, I feel like we've been quite blessed. I, I don't even want to talk about me getting stuck here because this is home for me as well. And I'm, my friends have been amazing. So I really don't have anything to complain about except that I'm not with my dog and you dog people will get that. But mm-hmm. six months away from your best friend is, is tough. But other than that, yeah, we've, our clients on the construction company side have been very 
understanding with the situation. And even within Kajani, we actually had this really cool opportunity where, so you got to win on lockdown, like people weren't supposed to leave the house for uh, a while. And what we felt compelled to do as a company is that we wanted to help distribute food to families that didn't have the economy stopped. And so a lot of people were living these daily jobs of, you know, offloading a truck and making $3 a day, and that's going to keep you around for the next few days. And so when all of that dried up and just completely stopped, uh, a lot of these people didn't have money and didn't have food. And so we used our resources, we used our truck, we used um, everything we had available, our staff members, and we <laughs> pivoted for a couple months and really worked on food distribution and coordinated all these different nonprofits in town. And it was just, it was a really cool way to see this community come together and just the people that we've been living next to and doing business in the same kind of community center, everyone coming together and be like, yeah, let's figure this out. And so that was a, you know, pretty cool thing that came out of this year that feels like multiple years ago because 2020 has <laughs> lasted about a decade. <laughs> but, and then after things eased up, we kind of got back to work and we weren't able to visit our communities. And so we had some staff members stuck out there and we had some of our staff members stuck in town because it was pretty strict, like police and the army weren't letting people move. And yeah, but it was really cool to see how even in the midst of not us not being there and quote unquote supervising the seedlings and things like that, but really, okay, we had to step away from the seedlings and hope that the community was going to plant them because it was, it, rains generally come in um, March and April and that's right in the middle of lockdown. And so just to see how these communities really proved that they actually wanted to be planting these trees where so many of our seedlings were planted. We planted 115,000 with over 150 households and we would have liked to do more, but everyone would have liked to do something different in 2020. And that's just not necessarily an option. So I think it was revealing that even in the midst of what we have all gone through this year, which has been devastating, it's been cool to see different parts of the business model validated through this year and through the different trials that we've all had to go through. Yeah. As listening, you talk about how the, the folks there in Uganda, the, your partners that you're working with, the farmers, you know, they just kept doing the work. They did what they needed to do. They picked it up. They ran with it. And it reminds me, it's a bad quote, but it reminds me of what Winston Churchill said to uh, Roosevelt right before World War II, before the U.S. got involved in World War II was, give us the tools, we'll finish the job. And in a way, that's what you've done. You've actually lived out the whole teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime that you've taught them how to do this forestry and, and they're finishing the job, which has got to be amazingly encouraging. So let me ask you one last question and we'll bring this thing to a close. It would seem like this would be pretty exportable. Are you guys being visited or were you being visited by other like-minded believers saying, hey, we could do this? In Kenya, we could do this in, in South Africa. How, how I would seem to me, everybody be coming to say, show us what you're doing. Is that happening? I think I've lost uh, track at this point. I know we've been approached to expand to several other countries, I think probably between 10 and 15 at this point. And while that's enticing, uh, I think what we really want to focus on, you know, we could probably work in Uganda for the next five years and still not really even reach our capacity. But I think more so that what we want to focus on is getting the foundational pieces done. And we're, we're very much uh, focused on doing the research. We're, we're focused on different species and different climates and growth rates and things like that. 
we don't want to monocrop one type of eucalyptus tree that grows really fast and degrades the soil and you know kills everything but then we pr produce charcoal we're working with people with the world agroforestry we're working with people that have a lot of different depth of knowledge and as you can imagine there are so many different layers and facets to what we're doing and so we're doing our best to not get bogged down with all the details but also whatever we're doing we want to do that very well a lot of it's focusing on laying a really good foundation and i think we've made some really good progress in that but we do hope to expand to other countries and there's definitely been a lot of need and it's hard to see the need in a neighboring country like kenya and realize that this model could work really good and transform a lot of lives but just understand hey these are our limits for right now and we'll see what god brings in the future but for right now this is what's in front of us and where we feel like we need to focus with the aspirations of right now when we're in one district and there are seven other districts within Uganda that are neighboring us that keep inviting us to expand to them. But yeah, we're pretty careful to make sure that we're, whatever we're doing, we want to do it well. Yeah. And that sounds like an incredibly biblical and wise approach to opportunity, taking it very carefully and making sure you're laying a good foundation. These guys are doing this, hear their story. See what it inspires in you and see what God says to you through it. Man, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. We'd be praying for your hopefully soon return to Uganda and your dog. Now that explains why you <laughs> lit up when my dog walked in. And you saw her. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah, a uh, couple more weeks and, and Uganda opens their borders. Looking forward to getting back. But yeah, Mike, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and for it was good to uh, get to know you and definitely would happy be happy to come back on anytime fantastic we'll do it bo milliken from kajani forestry and what's the name of the construction company crux engineering and construction okay so this is just a look it up check it out this is a great example of how bam works thanks again bo god bless thanks mike thanks for listening to the business as mission podcast for more information go to thirdpathinitiative.com or triventure.com Please share this podcast and give us a review wherever you listen. The Business as Mission podcast would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Anchor. Anchor is the free platform for creating and publishing podcasts. Check them out at anchor.fm. They are part of the Spotify family. Thanks for listening to the Business as Mission podcast. For more information, go to thirdpathinitiative.com or triventure.com. Please share this podcast and give us a review wherever you listen.